The aneurysm saved my life. And then they're like, it's time. I lost my, I lost it. You did lose it. I could not believe it. All right, all right, all right. We're gonna get to all of that in just a moment. But first, I want you to know how grateful I am for today's podcast sponsor, my friends at FitAF Nutrition. They are Eastern Pennsylvania's leading meal prep company. FitAF offers meals of multiple sizes for people with various health goals. And you know what I love about this company? They use high quality ingredients like grass-fed meats, wild fish, and locally harvested produce. And all right, for you parents on the go, they even offer family meals. It's easy to order. Go to fitafnutrition.com, place your order by midnight, and get fresh prepared meals delivered right to your door on Sunday. Use code LECKY at checkout to get 20% off your first order. Here we go, buddy. It's the Ryan Lecky Show. Hey, what is going on, fam? And welcome back. It's season two of the Ryan Lecky Show, and I'm super stoked you're here. And I'm even more pumped up for my first guest as part of season two, my mentor, my best friend, my BFF, my mother, my mom. She's on the couch today. And of course, you were a part of the podcast right back in the day when we first started this. But the whole Mm -hmm. point as we kick off season two in February, which is also American Heart Month, Mm -hmm. is to Mm -hmm. really pull back the curtain and tell your story because I've gotten a lot of messages ever since I publicly posted back in November near Thanksgiving after we were kind of out of the woods a little bit, after you had an aneurysm repair and open heart surgery, a triple bypass. And everyone said, what happened? I wanna hear a story. What went on? Where did she have the surgery? How was her recovery? What did she do? Mm -hmm. And we have a lot to unpack in it, but I'm really stoked that you're the first guest because I think the first and foremost, we're not only telling your story, but we hope this inspires people, specifically women, to pay attention to this and get checked. Because the number one thing when I posted that photo that you had an aneurysm repair and a triple bypass, people said, she looks like the picture of health. What happened? Absolutely. And that's the objective of this podcast is to raise awareness and save other women. So what did happen? Back into your story, because ever since I was a kid, we always talk about this on social media, et cetera. I always say, I got it from my mama, like my passion for fitness. Since I was a kid, you taught an aerobics class for 25 years. 20 some years. You have eaten the most bland, healthiest food since (laughs) I was like a baby. Anytime she's like, hey, let me cook. I'm like, no, No. somebody else can do (laughs) it, right? Like literally the picture of health. Mm -hmm. On paper, you look perfect, but behind the scenes and until essentially they cracked open your chest. Exactly, you, right. None of us knew like how bad your heart was, right? right? I, I didn't know either. So let's talk about sort of the aneurysm that was the start of this whole journey that ended up being a blessing in disguise. So walk me through, I mean, you've like a lot of women out there, regular lab work, routine checkups with your doctor. Walk me through the story. Right, because I've been a nurse for almost, well, at least 45 years. And as we said, the objective of this podcast is to raise awareness um, for Heart Health Month, particularly with women, because what women do not understand is that heart disease is the number one killer of women in all age groups. Let me chime in and play off those facts. So according to the American Heart Association, cardiovascular disease kills more women than Mm -hmm. all forms of cancer cancer combined, and yet only 44% of women recognize that cardiovascular disease is their greatest health threat. 
Exactly. Right? And people, that's the one thing that I got feedback on. They'd see pictures of you. They'd see mm -hmm. us over the years doing stuff. And they're like, your mother's the picture of health. What do you mean she had heart problems? Because Correct. even on paper and your blood work and your lab work, everything was, was impeccable. Correct. It looked great. Correct. So back up to the story when you started, I mean, obviously routine checkups, mm -hmm. but the aneurysm, we said, you know, post-surgery, it was really your blessing the in disguise. The aneurysm being saved followed my life. That. The aneurysm, I had an aortic arch aneurysm that I accidentally found out about. Um, it was genetic. My father, your grandfather, um, had one. And when I found out about it, I, of course, had to be tested. At that point, that was probably 2016. Um, all my measurements, everything was fine. And just to let everybody know, because of my history in healthcare for so long, I always had my routine checkups, my routine cholesterol. I was never overweight. I never smoked never drank, was always being a nurse and being an exercise fanatic, um, I was always incredibly active. Yeah, and I'll chime so, in and also say, in addition to nursing 40 plus years, mm -hmm. right, you pursued your career, you got your doctorate in nursing. Correct. I mean, you knew healthcare inside and out. You helped run hospitals. Exactly. Like, so you were somebody exactly. who people often joke, and we like come back to it. Nurses are the worst patients. Correct. But, <laughs> but I will say, you really paid attention to your health and made sure you were getting these regular checkups, et cetera. Right. Right. That a lot of people do, but then there could be stuff maybe you're missing. Because I have taken care of so many males and females yeah. in all ages mm -hmm. with heart disease that was really shocking to me so i was really proactive with my health so that's why in 2016 when i found out that i had a weakening and an outpouching of my aorta um i started getting routine testing and you did this because genetically you know your father had correct this aortic and aortic aneurysms are a silent killer because they yeah. can rupture at any time yeah so I was being monitored. Talk um, about the test you had done to detect that and to follow the size. Because I the key to these aneurysms, we should say, is watching it grow. Because when it hits a certain early level, detection. you have to have surgery. Because and follow if, through. Right, because if it ruptures, it will You're kill gonna you. You're going to die. Absolutely. Tell me about the test you had done. So the test that I had done, it was called um, an echocardiogram. And what they can do is they can measure different portions of your heart. And with that test, they measured my aorta to see how close it was to normal. And then throughout the years, I was being followed to see um, how fast it was growing. And I also would have periodic um, CT scans of my heart to make sure that those numbers mirrored the numbers of the um, echocardiogram. So again, I was very diligent in doing my, my preventative health and getting all of my testing routinely. And then I wanna say probably about nine months before my surgery, when I was contemplating moving up here, to northeastern Pennsylvania, right? Correct. Because we should point out, by the way, you were essentially uh, living Pittsburgh in the summertime, West Palm Beach uh, in the wintertime, winter right? Time. I mean, you were still right. working, still teaching. Um, you know, you were now full-time teaching, right? Correct. Launching uh, nursing programs, et cetera. Correct. Where, you know, you still work uh, with the university. But I think the interesting thing, as you said, you were monitoring this. Correct. So closely. I was staying on top of it. And then before you I moved had, up here, you got another test and you're like, this is getting bigger. 
Yes. It grew substantially in probably about mm, 13, 14 months. So when I did move up here full time, which was my ultimate goal for a few years, um, I had another test and it was at the operative point. It had grown that significantly in such a short period of time. Were you shocked now, by that? I was incredibly shocked because honestly, I never thought I would have to have surgery. Yeah, because as a nurse, you know the only way to fix an aneurysm prayer for the most part is open surgery. heart surgery. Correct. And there are two different ways to do it. So I was hoping for the not open heart way. Um, however, when we decided upon a surgeon, and we ended up in Philadelphia because, again, I was brand new in the area. I knew absolutely nobody, let alone an open-heart surgeon, and really neither did you. So a very dear, close friend of yours um, that you had a very trusting relationship with, uh, a family member of hers went through a valve replacement. Right, and we should point out, it was a close friend of ours, and this guy was an Iron Man super healthy yes right super healthy. and i think i should have prefaced this by saying it it was a decision that had to happen fast where we had to get to a surgeon Correct. to figure this out because Correct. as you said if these grow to a certain size they could rupture and kill you at any time and exactly. you knew that especially working in healthcare so what i want to point out before people say like why don't you have the surgery here why don't you have the surgery here the humorous part of this all is the fact that you have worked in healthcare systems in pittsburgh Bradenton, Florida, West Palm Beach. Beach. And I was amazed at how your friends, your fellow nurse friends, physicians you knew, people were fighting over you on where you should have the surgery. The minute like people knew you need to have this aneurysm repair, come Debbie, here, we want you to here, come to Pittsburgh. Come we have right. you, right? Because you right. worked at UPMC. You yes. worked at hospitals in West years. Palm Beach, Bradenton. Right. Exactly. And I think before people say like, what's wrong with the care here? It's nothing, right? And we're going to get to that because you did receive a lot of care in Northeastern Pennsylvania. Outstanding care. But it came to the point where we didn't have time to think. We didn't have no, time to surgeon we shop. We had no time. Because surgeon shopping is really important for people. And I have to tell you, even myself, like right when I had a shoulder surgery, I went to see seven people to say who's going to make the right, how can I make the right decision and what's the right procedure the for me. decision. So Absolutely. for you, you, we knew a close friend who I said, Iron Man, another guy, a picture of health person who right. did his homework, his shopping, had some similar stuff going on. And you're like, you know what? This guy's alive. He's thriving and doing well. And even though all of these nurses were fighting with you all over the country, have it here. We'll take care of you. And lovely. You decided I'm going to have it at UPenn in Philadelphia. And Dr. Zito ended up being your surgeon. Correct. So let's walk through it because I was amazed by the time we had the appointment, how fast you had to have surgery because it was of the size where this is a right. big concern. It wasn't an emergency because I wasn't yeah. in a ruptured state, but it was emergent. Yeah. And it was close to and it. And he's I like, was, you need to, because we thought we're right. going to go in there maybe six months, maybe a year. And he's like, you need to get this taken care of in the next couple of weeks. Right. And that really um, floored me because as I said, and I am going to reinforce this to all women, I was asymptomatic my whole life. I was never short of breath. I never had chest pain. My cholesterol levels were always within normal limits. They were always good. I never smoked. I never drank. 
And your cardiovascular like health was insane. We would work out with you in Orange Theory fitness classes. And I would keep up with them. And you would put 20-year-olds to shame. Yes. So there was no signs where you're like, I'm short of breath, right? So let's go no, into no August of 2023. Here you are. You have to go in. You see a surgeon. Literally, he goes through everything and says, we have to fix this. But the next step was pre-op testing where they needed to do a roadmap of your heart to exactly. figure out what the heck is going on in here. Because besides the aneurysm, I'll never forget. He said, if there's anything wrong with your heart, when you're open, we're going to do it once and we're going to fix you once. Right? I remember him. Yes. But here's where the other bomb hit. And I wasn't even concerned at that point because I thought, well, there's definitely nothing else wrong with You me. thought it was an aneurysm. Right. Tell me about the other bomb that hit you, our family, once your pre-op testing was done. We went in for pre-op testing. And again, that was an all-day pre-op testing. And they did a cardiac cath. And I'm thinking, well, this is a slam dunk. They're not going to find anything. I'm fine. I'm totally asymptomatic. If I was having any coronary artery issues... Oh, yeah, you would have been short of breath, all this other stuff. With with all of my working out and walking. Um, And thank goodness I was... um, you know, in a bed, because when the um, cardiac cath physician, the interventional cardiologist, told me, you have triple valve disease, that your one coronary artery, which was the left anterior descending, which in healthcare, um, that artery is incredibly significant. I had a 70% blockage of that artery and a 60% blockage in another and a, I believe a 50% blockage in another artery. I could not believe it. I was beyond shocked. That's why you said, thank you, goodness I was laying down. Thank goodness I was Because here you down. thought, I'm going to get the aneurysm repaired. My heart's Slam great. dunk. No symptoms. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, as you mentioned, 70% blockage in the one, blockage in the others. Mm-hmm. And this is the stuff that could kill you. Correct. Correct. So I am so blessed because that aneurysm saved my life. Because if I didn't know I would have an aneurysm, I would have been a statistic. I would have been one out of five women die of heart disease without even knowing we have heart disease, I would have been a statistic. And every day, I thank God for every single breath I take. Now, um, with that being said, when we went into the hospital... Um, Are we talking surgery day now? Surgery day. So this is something I think none of us will ever forget. Correct. September 11th, 2023, the night before... I think from a patient standpoint, I want to hear your side. From the family side and the caretaker side, here I am with you, my partner, Matt, who I wouldn't have gotten through this without Matt being there, both of us. Agreed. Right? And the support of your friends and everybody else, and we'll dive into that. But I'll never forget the night before your surgery. We go out to get dinner, and Mm -hmm. I find myself, and I don't think you even know this, and I was telling my team this today, is I found myself even on the car ride down taking pictures of you, (laughs) sitting in the car, smiling, like living your life. And even the night of dinner, we took the selfie outside, right? I remember that. And it hit me that day that said, this could literally be the last dinner you have with your mom. Because a lot of people, 
you know, now they hear of open heart surgery and triple bypass, and there are a lot of success stories, right? Yes, there are. But with heart surgery, there's a lot of high risk, and we'll get to it that is, in something we noticed visiting you, very right? high risk, um, That not everybody, no matter where you have the surgery, depending on the patient, their symptoms, their condition, not everybody has a successful it's outcome. It's multifactorial. That's where yes, it hit it me from the caretaker side, where literally I said, holy heck, this could be the last time I have dinner with my mom. And I remember that night, we all went to sleep on September 10th, and we woke up September 11th knowing you were going into surgery, you were having your aneurysm repair, and you were a having bypass. and a triple bypass. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, this is the thing that blew me away. And I want to know where your head was in this, because we, we still talk about that. Matt and I always joked that if we were having any procedure, heart surgery, knee surgery, stitches, knock us out like weekend at Bernie's, right? <laughs> like knock us unconscious, wheel us in, get the surgery done and wake me mm-hmm. up when I'm starting to recover, right? Mm-hmm. What, I will give you a, sed- a sedative. I will knock you out. What blew my mind is the night before, and I think even leading up to it, we should say you had a, probably a lot of nerves and stuff you hid from all of us. Of course I did. Because you knew what was coming. Working in healthcare for four decades. We know way too much. Nurses know way too much, right. Correct. So I'll never forget this. We wheel you into UPenn Presbyterian on September 11th. You go in and you check in, and I'm literally talking to Matt, and I'm a mess. And this is, I had such anxiety, felt like an elephant was standing on my chest for two weeks when you were like recovering, Mm -hmm. right? For that time. And I looked at you, and I remember when they start wheeling you back, and they start hooking up IVs to you and everything else. And I will never forget this. And I look at Matt, and I just couldn't believe you were cool as a cucumber. They must have offered you multiple times, like a lot of patients and in surgery. Did. What can we give you to take the edge off? You're probably nervous. We want to give you're you having something. open heart surgery, Correct. and you're literally like, and I "I'm it. good. I'm good." Correct. And I get like choked up talking about it because I'm mm-hmm. there watching you, and I'm like, "How does she not want to knock herself out?" Like I'm a mess. I'm ready to like throw up and like watching this because I knew I'm literally watching the clock, and we're there, and I'm like, "They're gonna take her back soon." Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Right? And you didn't take. Anything. I'm not saying this because hey, everybody, if you go into surgery, you don't need anything. No, no by no means. No, I think right. for me, what was so it was almost eerie was watching you, and I'm like, how is she so calm, knowing everything as a nurse for 45 years of what's going to happen? I will honestly say, I I knew how high risk it was, and I also knew that if I died during surgery. I knew where I was going. You know, I am a a Christian. I have, my faith is strong. I trust, I believe. And I had everything in order when I went into surgery. But many women, if you're a mother, can understand this. You will do anything for your children, no matter what age they are. Even though we are besties, you are still my son. And if a bus was coming to hit you, a mother would throw themselves in front of that bus. I did not want to take anything because it was important to me to keep you as calm as possible. 
and for you to have that faith. And I think I faked my calmness a little bit. You did. <laughs> you 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 did. And I remember and our our you know my sister Bridget was calling you. Yes. And that's I also what I remember. Was going to I think say. we Facetimed her. Yes, we did. I'm a mess, and you're still cool as a cucumber. Like you're talking to the nurses because I think the other thing is like it's 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 like firefighters, police officers, you know, nursing. It's like a, a sisterhood. Yes. Brotherhood, right? For male it and is. female nurses. Correct. So you hit it off right away with the staff and nurses, and I'm a nurse, and my mom was a nurse, right? And here you are, cool as a cucumber. I am a hot mess, right? Mm -hmm. And I do remember I took a picture, a couple pictures. Here I am. I think that was my go-to, right? Get as many photos as you can. Oh my God, what's yes, going to happen today? I was snapping pictures. I'm like, you got this, you got this. And then I remember I was faking it, trying to keep it together. And then they're like, it's time. Mm -hmm. And you'll still talk to you in a few hours and they will you back. And if you remember, I lost my, I lost it. You did lose it. Um, and I was trying not to let you see that. And I get emotional talking about it now. Mm -hmm. But that's where I was like, this could be it. And I think that's where the time where we live a life and we say, I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to go on that vacation six months from now. Just hit me to say like, holy crap. Is there anything you wanted to tell your mom because you missed it? Right. And you were going back. And I was like, this, this could be it. And I was trying to be positive. I'm a positive person, but that's mm -hmm. where it hit me. So walk me through. I remember you go back. And it, it really hit me too, because um, when they came and said, okay, we're going to take her back now. And the team, and, by the way, and in other oh, healthcare facilities we work with here, they were phenomenal. Beyond phenomenal. Team at UPenn, I remember looking beyond at the nurses, phenomenal. the From physician assistants. The, the PAs, right, the nurse practitioners, the, the cardiologists, the fellows, the, the yeah. lab techs, the x-ray um, techs. They were just outstanding, as well as here and at, I know. any PA. Yeah. And we'll, you, we'll get to we'll, that We'll later. come back to the other hospital yes. visits. But I remember uh, I was on the cart, and they started to wheel me back. And they did tell me, too. They said, hey, we got her. There was a team of, I don't know if you remember it, 14 people in the OR with you. Right. Because, because they kind of described it, and don't quote me, but they kind of said, we kind of have a backup to each person. And they right? do. And they do. They have a backup to each person So they person will you back. OR. Take me Correct. through where your headspace is, because knowing now, they're going to open your chest and you're going to have open heart surgery. Right. Walk me through. My Cuz I wasn't with you once they took you back. No, but my um biggest heartache was when they started to take me back and you were over top of me. You were talking to your sister. You were trying to hold it together. You were trying to hold your sister together because she could not make it to the mm -hmm. surgery. Mm -hmm. Um that you were over top of me and the tears were just pouring out of your eyes and splashing all over my face and that's <laughs> yeah. I, I will never forget that and matt he started our to beloved matt yeah um he was crying as well and i was so thankful and blessed that matt number one never left my side to support me but just as importantly he never left your side yeah he he was totally a rock but anyway what you did not see when they wheeled me away from you and Matt and they were talking with me, I worked in the OR for a period of time and I worked in cardiac surgery. And I worked in the room where we had what's called the perfusion machine, which is what they hook your heart up to when they're doing surgery. Um, it's a bypass machine because your heart is stopped. Yeah. And I thought, I don't want to see that machine. I can't see that machine. So I said, um, if you don't mind, you know, you want to give me a little Valium or something now? And the next thing I knew, um, 
that was really the last I remembered for probably almost nine days. The surgery was 10 hours. 10, 10 hours. And people ask, Plus right? the prep before and, yes. the, and after. And yeah. I think the thing is, from the caretaker side as well, you know, we're just, you're just waiting on the call, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you want updates. And I have to say like a lot of healthcare systems, UPenn, we were getting automated texts. So we knew patients back in the, you know, prep right. room, now the right. operating room, the procedure has begun, blah, 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 blah. So then I remember, and in order to pass time, Matt and I, I said, we need to fill this day with as much as we can because I got to take my mind off it. I can't of go course. back to the hotel and just sit. No. So, of course, we did what I usually do to relieve any stress, and Bridget, anxiety. Your sister, right? my daughter, my was sister calling you constantly. calling me nonstop, right? Mm -hmm. um, we'd get a text like patients in um, the operating room now. She'd be calling, what's happening? I'm getting the same text you are, yeah. right? So, Matt and I remember we go all over, all over Philly, we work, we go to a gym, we work out, then mm -hmm. we just start to fill time, hitting different stores. I'm dialing in with my team trying to get mm -hmm. work done i kept telling them work is a distraction keep sending me stuff right, right, right. and then i'll never forget uh later in the afternoon i think it was like probably four or five ish right because they took me in right yep. before eight o'clock the surgeon himself though said you know we're we're wrapping up on your mom because the way it works is a team approach somebody opens the patient somebody the surgeon does his thing uh, or her thing and then somebody then closes right closes. Correct. so i think you know this is something um that was interesting so you know we get the call from dr zito your surgeon who was great and he updated us on the information and he's like your mom is really strong and you know we we gave her, her she had a triple bypass and you know we you know basically we fixed your mom right correct. i'm like losing it i'll never forget i'm in philly i'm on like this sidewalk crying trying to keep it together for him be like she's okay she's okay right and then he said, you know, you can come visit her in a few hours, right? Because we have to finish some stuff in the OR. Correct. But, right. you know, my part is done and, and the whole team is still with your mom and we'll have the update, blah, blah, blah. So fast mm -hmm. forward, we go up to the recovery room, the patient room, and we're thinking, and of course, those were probably like the slowest two to three hours of my life. And we knew it was going to be imagine. some time. He wasn't like, come on in, she's done. You can see her in 10 minutes. Like right. they were very transparent. It's going to take some time. So we get up there, we get up there, we're waiting, we're waiting. And all of a sudden it started to feel, it was a little longer than three hours. And we're becoming a nervous mess because I'm like, where is she, right? And then, you know, we check in with the nurses there. We got an automated test, uh, automated text that initially we thought surgery was done. And then all of a sudden we get a text, surgery is continuing. And I go, what do you mean? Is this a glitch? Surgery is continuing. So my sister's calling me and what it turned out to be, which was sort of, Maybe another blessing after talking to your nurse friends the night it happened. Right. Um, we communicate with the nurses and they said, you know, we know, um, we thought your mom would be up here a little bit ago. It does take time right before we bring a patient up from the OR, but um, she's still in there and they're just finishing a few things up and we don't have the exact updates because the team's still pretty busy. And in my head, I start losing it thinking, holy heck, what happened? Because I thought you were done, right? Surgery was wrapped. You're going to bring her up. And I'm kind of like losing it at this point. And Matt's trying to keep me together. And I remember calling those good friends, Kathy and Bob, shout out to them. Those are the first people I called because he's been through it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'm describing what's going on. I'm waiting for answers. I'm like, well, take the information you have now, right? And here's the questions you should be asking, blah, blah, blah. I was a mess. They were the first people I called because just probably a year ago, they were, they were exactly where I was sitting. Mm -hmm. And... You know what had happened was why don't you tell the story i mean they were literally your surgery i was closed you were closed I was so closed. that means you they stitched the you up and everything surgeon. else they said it was going to be you know a couple hours so they bring you up right and um then what happened was they discovered i was bleeding internally 
So they had to reopen my chest and go back in. And they had to stitch a bypass. Correct. And talking to people in the medical field, including your nurse friends, right? You know, this is, sometimes this happens. Correct. And you don't realize, I guess, how small, like, I don't know, the veins and the stitching, mm -hmm. how all of that, how tiny it is mm -hmm. that this could sometimes happen. But I remember losing it in one of your friends, and I have to get to the point where <laughs> nurses from all over the country are blowing my phone up all week. Yes. But I remember one of your friends called right when we were kind of dealing with this ordeal and just waiting for information. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, and I'll never forget, I think it was your friend, Kathy who's also a nurse for like ever. Yes. She said the best part, if this is what's happening, yes. is that your mom was never brought upstairs to the ICU Correct. where they had to reassemble a, an OR team. Correct. The team was still there with you. Correct. So they fixed you right away. Right. And they wanted to keep you longer just to be a thousand percent sure before mm -hmm. they brought you up to the ICU. Correct. And what I will say that the doctors and team did a great job of, even you know Dr. Zito, Dr. Mary, who worked with him, is the fact that they said, when you see your mom after surgery, she's gonna look 30 pounds heavier. Yes. <laughs> she's not gonna look like herself and she's gonna be on a ventilator. Mm -hmm. And they tell you this, right? And you're like, okay, okay. So by the time we did get to see you, they were great. They let us in a little after visiting hours because they had just wheeled you up, right? They right. had to restitch the bypass. And I'll never forget when we walk into that room and you're on a ventilator mm -hmm. and you were 30 pounds heavier from all the fluid. Correct. You the didn't fluid, look the like blood you. products, right. That was really tough to see. Of course, my sister's still blowing my phone up when I'm trying to get into the room to see you. And you don't remember any of this, of course, because the anesthesia and stuff. But I do remember talking to you. And I picked up a cue from the nurses. They're like, ask her some questions and see if she can squeeze your hand. And I'm like, Mom, you know, it, it's Ryan and Matt. We're here. You made it. You know, you did the hard part. You went through the surgery. Squeeze my hand if, if you can hear me. And I remember looking at you and you're tearing up and I know you're out of it. You're on another planet, but you're squeezing my hand. Right. And you did that. And mm -hmm. there was a little, little relief there. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, as a nurse and a healthcare provider, that's what we always say to the caregivers and the family, because it's really just as hard on the family. Oh going, my gosh. I didn't seeing your loved one go yeah. through this. Or even the recovery. Correct. I was nowhere near, I thought I was prepped for it. No, I wasn't. no, no. <laughs> but, you know, the, the big thing is, like I always tell the family members, the loved ones, please talk to your loved one who just yeah. came out of surgery who, and let them know you're here yeah. because they can usually hear you. Because as a nurse, I mean, you've taken care of people in emergency rooms who were in car accidents. Correct. and other stuff and you're like gunshot wounds yes right. and i remember mm -hmm. saying mom if you can hear me squeeze your hand and your eyes were filling with filling with tears right it was like the weirdest thing i knew you you were there but you weren't there right and you squeezed our hand and i remember though kind of like clockwork they said at 2 a.m or 2 15 in the morning we're going to be pulling the vent off of your mom as long as mm -hmm. she you know meets all these criteria she'll mm -hmm. be off the vent by the time you see her tomorrow mm -hmm. she's and, not going to remember anything really right and i do have to interrupt because I do remember that it was sometime, I do not remember you and Matt being there. I don't remember anything. Mm -hmm. But I do remember this wonderful male nurse that said, okay, I'm going to pull your tube. 
you know, you're going to be fine. This is how we're going to do it. Um, something along that line. And I remember just going into a state of panic, thanking God that my hands were tied because I would have probably taken the tube out myself. Yeah. Um, I did not want that tube out because I was afraid that I wasn't going to breathe. I was really afraid. And he just talked to me through it on the count of three. I'm going to pull it. And I remember the tube coming out. And it was plastic. It didn't hurt at all. Um, it was a wonderful feeling when it was out. And I remembered he put oxygen on me right away. And that was the last thing I remember because I remember thinking, I'm alive. I can breathe. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's so challenging as a caregiver. I, I can't imagine how difficult it was for you, for my daughter, for Matt, for our family, for our friends. Um, I really feel for the caregiver you know, as well as the patient. And by no means am I trying to compare with what you went through, but I think to see your mom like that, right, on a mm -hmm. ventilator and then the next day. But I think what was so difficult, right, because you were in the hospital for recovery probably like a week and a half. Yes. And the next day, you know, when when you kind of were starting to come back to yourself, you really, it took days for you to kind of start getting with it because the anesthesia and you're 95 pounds soaking wet. You know, mm -hmm. I think what was so interesting is the pain was one thing from the open heart surgery, but the worst of your pain were the chest tubes. Yes. Right? And I remember those had to be in for a certain amount of time mm -hmm. to take out what, the blood fluid and all that stuff. I had four chest tubes. Yeah. And I remember you being four so tiny, you could really tubes. feel them. I could them. not breathe. Yeah. I had four chest tubes. I had an arterial line. I had a central venous line. I had IV lines. <laughs> um, I just, I literally could not move. Um, right. And I have to say, too, being there to check in, we were there every day at 10 a.m. when they allowed visitors in. Yes. We'd get up, go to I the gym I don't early. remember anything, but I do remember there was a big clock on the left side of the wall. Yeah. And I would look at that clock because at like 9.45, visiting hours started at 10. Yeah. At like 9.45, 9.50, boom, in came you and Yeah, Matt. we were like banging on the door early to get in. Yeah. I think that the toughest thing, coming back to the caregiver side, it's like, you know, there was like no sleep during those weeks because for me, right. I literally was sleeping with the phone, right? I was the emergency of contact course. thinking, right. what if something goes south? What if something happens? Right. And as the caregiver, you were constantly in touch with your sister. Yeah. You were constantly in touch with our close friends. Yeah, which I should point out, by the way, this is something that was so heartwarming. You being a nurse and working in so many places and coming back to what I said earlier is the fact that all these people wanted you to have surgery in Pittsburgh, West Palm, Bradenton, yeah. right? Like, that's why we made the decision. We did what we did when we went to UPenn, right? And we were right. grateful that everybody wanted you to have it, like, in their and city. And time wasn't on our side. I think the, right. right. I think the craziest thing or the most interesting thing, it wasn't just, how's your mom doing today? We had a group text with about 20 people who are in the medical field. Most of them, I want to say the majority of them are nurses. Yes. And they didn't want to know just, how's your mom doing today? What's your mom's blood pressure? What's her hemoglobin? What's this? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. And then the thing that like mm -hmm. caused me to tear up, you know, you still work with Palm Beach Atlantic University yes. in Florida. Mm -hmm. And I remember the women, the professors, the instructors from the nursing division and friends really around the country in the medical field who you've worked with. I reached out to some of them in the group text and I said, it'd be great if you sent a video, just like wishing her well or whatever. And the videos just kept coming. And I remember mm -hmm. almost losing it when I saw that whole team like, I don't know, 15 people out together in front of the school of nursing, out in front of the school of nursing, mm -hmm. wishing you that. well and hoping you feel better. And mm -hmm. I'll never forget, like it really, 
you know, that started coming like Wednesday, Thursday. But I remember the day after your surgery, if you remember how tired you were because you didn't sleep, you had that slept day, since I like Sunday. <laughs> if that, you barely probably got any sleep the night before your surgery. Right. I remember at one point you were so tired you thought the bed was moving from sleep deprivation. I remember Matt telling me I told him that. Yeah. That my bed was moving. Stop my bed from moving. Yeah. And I literally go to the nurses. And I want to say this as well. Hospitals everywhere, the foundation that builds them, right? CNAs, the food service staff, Absolutely. the nurses, right? It's These people should be paid a bazillion dollars a year Agreed. for what they did, right? Agreed. Right? It was incredible Agreed. how they rallied behind you. I remember some of even the CNAs who were like, no nonsense. And they're like, you're going to get up and do this. And you were up moving and you're walking mm -hmm. and doing stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think the most amazing thing to me, what I was really inspired about when I would come mm -hmm. to visit you, and I'm sure it would happen no matter where you had your surgery. Mm -hmm. All these nurses knew that you had your doctorate in nursing, mm -hmm. that you were teaching nurses of the future, that you launched a nurse practitioner program. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons you didn't sleep, and it wasn't intentional on their part, is a lot of them would pull in, pull up a chair <laughs> and come in. Because you know, if you're in the ICU, they have two patients. So they would come in and tell you about their dreams in the medical field, exactly. in nursing. And I'm like, this woman can't get any <laughs> sleep because they're like, Miss Debbie, do you think I should go back for my doctorate of nursing practice? Or mm -hmm. do you think should I, I should- Should I go to be a nurse practice? Yeah. I, I and I thought I it was adorable, those. but I really yes. like, and I think, you know, when someone's taking care of your mom or your loved one, like, you know, you're, you're there early to check in with the nurses. I was calling the overnight nurses at 5 a.m. Mm -hmm. Then I was seeing the team at like 10 a.m. with you. Mm -hmm. And then at night I would stay till seven or eight till the shift change happened. Oh, you and were you there until meet, eight. And you I wanted to meet that. the night nurses. Like yes. you all of a sudden become like besties with all these people. Mm -hmm. And they were incredible. And I think the thing is then, you know, you're in ICU probably for about a week. Right, because you did struggle at the first two days with your hemoglobin that was low, so you did have to get blood for that, and that really woke me up to saying, you know what? Now that certain restrictions, of course, on gay men were lifted with blood donation, I need to step up and do my part because you had Absolutely. a lot of blood, and that to me, like, um, was nerve wracking when you were still getting those, and then mm -hmm. right. But I think as the week went on, and then the chest days, tubes right. came out, it was like one improvement after the next. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you were, you know, eating and, and I could tell you were back to yourself when you wanted your bland vegetables and nothing on it and no sauce. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Right. Absolutely. And right. I, I think as we move ahead to this, even because I think the story when you came home is interesting, too, is I remember the day we actually got to walk you to the step down unit because you were very active. I mean, after heart surgery, they want you moving. They want you walking out of I bed. I did not right? want to walk. I yeah. will say that. And they, I just wanted they, to lay in bed and not yep, move. And they got you walking. I didn't have an option. And I remember when Matt and I got to walk you with the mm -hmm. nurse behind us to the step down unit. And I'll never forget you get in this other room where there's less noise because in the ICU, you don't sleep in an right. ICU. There's bells, there's whistles, there's things going off left and right. You have a million wires on you and you get to the step down unit and they put you in this room that was pretty warm, right? Yeah. And again, you're meeting all the other nurses and they're like, oh, you're a nurse and everyone's besties with the nurses, right? And I'll never forget, they put you in this chair that almost looked like one of those chairs people take photographs in at like fall pumpkin patches that are like 17 sizes too big for them. They put you in this chair, your feet aren't even touching. You're cute as a button because you're still like 30 pounds heavier. You're like so cute. And I just wanted to pinch your cheeks and never forget your feet. Thank aren't goodness you never yeah. took any pictures of me looking yeah. like that. And, yeah. and your feet aren't even touching the ground. And you're just, and the nurses stepped out. You're like, I can't stay in this room. It's too hot. But I don't want to complain because they're so nice. I'll never forget that. But I remember you were in this chair and I was like, this is the biggest chair I've ever seen you sit in. And it mm -hmm. looked like fake. It looked like mm -hmm. it was a circus chair. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. I remember then you were in the step down unit for a few days and then we brought you home probably about a week and a half after we checked you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being a nurse, I just want to give a shout out to 
every single person in healthcare. I mean, from registration to, like I said, the lab techs to the nurses and the dietary folks who made oh, sure you didn't have stuff on your vegetables and just, salmon. Just, <laughs> just absolutely everyone, because that means so much in a patient's recovery. Yeah is it's all those little things. Life isn't one great big thing. It's all the little things that are added together. And, you know, being a nurse for, for so long, I just want to say I absolutely love, love, love what I do. Um, I didn't like it every single day, <laughs> um, but I loved it. And to all the healthcare professionals, be proud of what you do. Um, be very, very proud because you're just, you're, you have a servant heart and it was everybody around me touching me, you know, as well as my family, as well as my friends, because without that support of you and Matt and Bridget and the whole community, this is why I moved up here, the whole community and my friends, I would have never made the remarkable recovery that I had. Yeah. So I don't know. think I would have gotten through it. I mean, not only right. clients who I mm -hmm. work with who were texting me, how's your mom, right? And people sending messages, but your nurse friends from all over the country. Correct. Right? Reaching out nonstop. It Correct. was like I couldn't keep up with the messages. There were so many. Right. But I was like, wow, people care. And I think you don't realize the impact somebody in your family, especially your mom, has on people until something like this happens. Yes. Right. And I, even a neighborhood, when you recently moved into your neighborhood and the neighbors are reaching out and sending stuff and that played a huge role in your recovery as well when you got home. A huge role. And I remember when we got home because I'm such a light sleeper and Matt can come sometimes sleep anywhere. He said, I'm going to stay with your mom for the first week. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was fun. And he stayed with you and getting my, taking my blood pressure at 5 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, And he was God doing that. Matt. And I think something else that's super important as a nurse sometimes, right? You're tough. I got this. I'm going to go home. I'm going to be fine. I don't, I don't need any extra leave, help. Yeah, leave me alone. I'm good. I'm One good. of the things that I think you were so grateful for is you took up allied services, home health, for an in-house nurse and physical therapy to visit you yes, during the week. Yes, and I remember and I you fought you. fought me on that. <laughs> fought you, you fought me on that because you said, you know what, I'm not going to need this. I'm going to be fine. But exactly. part of your recovery to have a home health team as well, mm -hmm. in addition to your friends caring for you, and then your another nurse friend from Pittsburgh, Teresa, came up and stayed with you for a week. Right, Bridget, right? my daughter, you, Bridget, and yeah. stayed. And they mm -hmm. came during the hospital too to visit and everything. I think the thing is that's something that, I would tell people, no matter how strong and tough you are, if you can get that covered or if your insurance offers that or whatever, for Absolutely. you, that was Give huge. Give yourself every single benefit yeah. in your recovery. Because for you, you had shoulder mobility I had issues. I frozen shoulder when I came So you were able to get surgery. physical therapy at home. Yes. The nurses from Allied Home mm -hmm. Health were visiting you. And mm -hmm. you, I'll never forget when you're like, I know I fought you on this, but thank goodness I signed up for this. Mm -hmm. And I remember that. I ate my words. Yeah. And then I remember after that, like after the home health was done, you were still getting like they physical therapy. They were just therapy. Yeah. so valuable. Yeah. So valuable. When I wasn't feeling well, um, the, the registered nurse would put a call out to the doctors for me yeah. that I actually didn't have to do that myself. And when you've gone through 10 hours plus of open heart surgery, everything is an effort. And for her to take that off my plate and say, I got you, I'm going to take care of this. And then I remember the physical therapist coming and saying, okay, now we're going to do some stairs today. And I'm like, no, we're not. But I think what's but interesting, I did come back her. to the stairs, though, because I'll never, I think this is what people to know. Here's a woman who's the picture of health. The first time you could barely make it up the steps. 
And I only went halfway. Yeah. I couldn't even walk out to my driveway and back because my daughter, Bridget, tried to take me on a little walk. And just the fact of putting a foot outside, and I thought, I will never be myself again. But praise God, (laughs) I'm actually better than I went in. And like I said, to the women of the world out there, um, I was totally asymptomatic. And I know as a woman, our biggest fear is that C word, it's cancer. But you have to be proactive and think about your other risk of disease, particularly heart disease, which is the number one killer. And as a nurse, what's the conversation women should be having with their providers to get that checked? Because for what? you, your lab work was great. My On lab paper, work was great. you Everything were the picture of health. Great. Is right. it a calcium score test? Like, what would you say? The biggest thing is have transparency with your healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. Be it a physician, be it a nurse practitioner, be it the physician's assistants. They are experts in the field. Be transparent because- Especially if you have a family history of aneurysms, et cetera. Right, yeah. because women experience and exhibit very, very different symptoms than a man does related to cardiac disease. Women experience more abdominal pain, back pain, neck pain. And yes, we can still experience shortness of breath and somebody, you know, the tightness in our chest, but our symptoms can be relatively unique. So if you're feeling tired or you're just not feeling like yourself, don't brush it off. Do not brush it off because you don't want to be that one in five statistic like I almost was. Be totally transparent with your healthcare provider. And above all, have those routine checkups. Yeah. And I think the thing is coming back to what you said about being transparent, having the conversations, is the fact that you just, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes there. You do not know right? what's going on behind yeah. the scenes. And we should probably do podcast number two related to this <laughs> so we can talk about various forms of heart disease yeah. and how and they hit. Right. Um, like women, most women do not know that if you, uh, after menopause, you're more at risk for heart disease because of the hormone change. Um, if you have an early menopause, you're more at risk for heart disease. If you have your menstrual cycle at a young age, say like age 11 or younger, you're more of, of a risk of of developing heart disease. You're stealing all my facts. Oh. No, no, it's all good. But I was going to say, but playing off of what you said too, the American Heart Association also stresses among females 20 years and older, nearly 45% of them are living with some some form of cardiovascular disease. And less than 50% of women entering pregnancy in the United States have good heart health. But what I wanted to mention when we say about like women, sometimes there's a lot of research because you got that mom strength or that female strength, right? You ignore the symptoms. We do. Right? So, oh, we I'm do. tired or I'm just, yeah, it's just. And we brush and it off. And you brush it off. And, and we brush it off. Oh, I've been doing extra cleaning. Right. Oh, I'm working. I'm running nonstop. Um, when that could not be the factor at all. And the one thing I wanted to say, coming back to what I said earlier, right? Every outcome from any surgery is always different. It comes to what were the pre-existing conditions? What's the patient's story, right? Correct. And what I will never forget that stood with me is every day we were visiting you in the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. You were getting better. Mm-hmm. In the room next to another guy, an older gentleman in ICU, and I don't know what his heart condition was. I don't know what his backstory was. I don't know his medical history. 
he wasn't getting better. And I remember seeing him on a vent for days and I'm like, this, this isn't right. My mom came off a vent the other day and I think they had surgery on the same day. And I remember seeing his kids who were like my age and their family saying, hey, how's your mom doing today, right? And I said, we're taking her to the step down unit. She's progressing. And at the time, I don't think I could really see their father because there was the curtain pulled a lot right. and the family was in there. And I said, how's your dad? Like any updates? And they said, we're giving him his last rites today. So you were walking out of there and they were saying goodbye to their loved ones. And I think to me that was really like, wow. It's an eye opener. Yeah. And that's what, that's the purpose of this podcast is to raise awareness, to do everything you can to proactively take care of your health. Yeah. And I think, you know, mom, coming back to what you said, because I know we could talk about a lot of this stuff for a long time. I think what was interesting when you did come home up to week eight, you were rocking it, right? Yes. Your recovery was going well. You're going on walks. I was just, I was feeling, feeling amazing. On top of the world. Right? And this is what comes back to having healthcare here. We now, want to point it wasn't out too, easy. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> right. And exactly. I want to point out between the Allied Services Home Health you received, and then you also saw several cardiologists within, you know, our healthcare systems, Geisinger being wonderful one of them. Wonderful team. Um, you had a little hiccup. Not related to your surgery, but something but else cropped up. And we thought it was related to the surgery. Mm -hmm. Like it was right after Thanksgiving where mm -hmm. all of a sudden we said, what the heck is going on? Because mm -hmm. we thought. It was a big blip in the road, a huge, huge blip in the road. And I. You would be at home. I think we should set the scene when we say, oh, she was doing great up to week nine. You would be at home watching television, right? At night, winding down, reading mm -hmm. a book, chilling with your dog. What would happen? My blood pressure skyrocketed to like 200 over 120. Which is like stroke level. Correct. And I called you and I said, I think you need to take me down to the emergency room like now. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I am calling the ambulance yeah. and I will meet you down there. Yeah. And that was the best thing. And I would stress to people and after working, you know, in television, doing these types of stories related to heart health, Don't et cetera, wait it out. Don't have somebody drive you there. If no. you're experiencing chest pain anything related to heart, you think you're having a stroke because one, you're going to get into the ED, the ED emergency department a lot faster, but two, they have the tools and the resources and the Absolutely. ambulance to start proactively Absolutely. treating you. Because there were times- Don't be a hero. You had three trips to an emergency room in an ambulance, Yes. right? Because this happened and all of a sudden we're trying to figure out what's going on. And you did have, I think- and I was hospitalized Two stays twice. at Geisinger and the mm -hmm. team was phenomenal. I couldn't have asked for a more thorough team. Um, because we're thinking something's related to your surgery. Something happened. Right. Which I just want to say in case you stop listening now, it was not even related to her it surgery. It wasn't even related to the but surgery. But wait until you hear what it actually was in a moment. You're in Geisinger. You had two stays there. They ran every test under every the sun. Every test imagined. Your heart looks great. You had MRIs, CAT scans. They're looking for strokes. Anything you could think of, they're like, everything's great. My blood pressure was... Very high. Because it would go from a normal level. I mean, for you, your new norm might have been like 110, 113, right? Right. And it would just skyrocket to 200, and nobody knew what was going on. You right. would feel flushed in I the face. I was on multiple, multiple. Yeah. Um, medication, right? Blood pressure medications. Yeah. And it was just random. And it was just so frustrating to me because you can't go out and have a life because number one, you don't feel well. Number two, you're afraid that your blood pressure is gonna skyrocket. And when it does skyrocket, you have to sit there, you wanna sit there and not move. 
and pray that it comes down. But also because it was near 200 with his stroke level, we were getting right. you to right. the hospital, right? right? Um, so fast forward, you see multiple people in and out of stage. You have every test done. We know. Every single We know test. your heart every was great. Every single test. So let's tell everybody what it ended up being, that I think this is something probably people either ignore or they don't. It's not caught mm -hmm. right. And I should say it was a doctor because we went to some other hospitals. And because you were near my house at the time when it happened, mm -hmm. and I lived closer uh, to Lehigh Valley Health Network, mm -hmm. right? So I said, okay, if it's this bad, we just got to get to the closest hospital. Right. It was an emergency room doctor who diagnosed you with? Vertigo. Extreme. Extreme vertigo. vertigo. And that's what was causing these insane Blood spikes. pressure spikes. And I'll never forget. I think it was. It was to the point where. You can't see, you can't walk. Um, oh my gosh, you were so dizzy, you were nauseous. It was just like, it was crazy. Correct. And um, again, I learned something as a nurse that this occurs not so infrequent mm -hmm. in people. Um, so I am seeing a phenomenal ear, nose, and throat doctor now who is really helping me. I'm on medication. Dr. Pritchick. You can give the guy Keith. a shout out. Keith, yes. <laughs> and um, again, I'm I'm getting my life back. And I think it was Dr. Sadi was his name at Lehigh Valley Health Network yes. who said, you have you vertigo. You extreme vertigo. He literally looked at, after working with you a little bit, minute and a half, did a couple quick tests on you. He's like, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And we were ready. Oh my gosh, do we need to go back to the surgeon? Do we need to do this? We were going back to yeah. the pen that day. And now remind you, I've been a nurse for what, like 45 yeah. years, maybe plus. I never thought of that. I never thought of that. And I remember leaving the office multiple times to take you to the hospital or meet you at the hospital if it was that bad with your blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, as a, as a caregiver, right? You're like, when's this gonna end? You just want your mom to get better. Yeah. And it was like, all the time. It, it, it felt was, like it was, was like every few days, it was right? constant for probably about five weeks, six yeah. weeks. And yeah. it was scary. And the minute, though, you were diagnosed with extreme vertigo. And right? I was put on the correct medication. Correct medication. Because for a while, a lot of people, which is normal, they think, we got to adjust your heart medicine. We got to tweak stuff. We got to do this, right? Maybe it was that. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that. Right. But now you're getting closer to being closer. I think you still have several weeks ahead of you to I, 100%. I still have, right. I'm not 100%. I am 70%. And but 70 what I think percent is great. But what I think is so fascinating about it, ever since you were diagnosed with vertigo, you have not had to take a single blood pressure medicine. Correct. Because when your pressure was going from like a 113 to 200, some doctors, they were starting to play with your medicine, thinking, okay, we need to adjust this. And if it hits a certain right. level, take which this makes, medicine. Which makes certain sense. Totally makes sense, and, right? And honestly, like I said, the the healthcare providers at Geisinger left no stone unturned. None. I yeah. mean, they just ran every test known to medicine. Right. But I think that also helped us because as we progressed along and thinking, Correct. do we you need to go back out. to a surgeon, right? Correct. You had all the tests done, and then we found out what it mm -hmm. was. But again, this is another shout out to women. Do not ignore your symptoms. Yeah. Do not ignore your symptoms. You know, you do have to advocate to yourself and you have to be totally transparent with your healthcare providers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I know we kind of sped through the recovery because, you know, we talked about your vertigo, which is still kind of ongoing and you're it's, hoping it's, to wrap it's that ongoing, up. It's ongoing. But, but at least you found improving. out what that was. I just mm -hmm. think the amazing thing for you, what was the biggest lesson you took away from this surgery that, you know, you could have, you could have lost your life because not everybody survives these I types of surgeries. I could have been one of those statistics. Is that... 
live your life. Because we talk about this. There's a lot of times, right? That we're live, yeah. Yeah. Live your life. Life is not all about work. At one point I thought it was. It is not. It's about family. It's about developing friends. It's about keeping friends. It's about nurturing yourself. It's about living your life. And I think we talk about living. I remember with you after you survived the heart surgery and you being in ICU in that week, you said, you know what, I'm done waiting to take vacations and do all that. Because all the time you say, oh, we'll take a vacation next year. Oh, I don't know if I want to go. I'm going to do this, right? Because mm-hmm. you're one of the few, right? You always say saving money makes you happier than spending it. Yes, saving so you money love makes to me save, happier than spending. But I do know I said like the time is now. Right. And I think that for you was the most eye-opening thing. And I think I hope the takeaway is this for American Heart Month. Men, women, if you notice something going on, talk to your provider. Please. Get checked, right? Please. Because here's Do somebody. Do not let it go. You know, I look at you, picture of health, fitness fanatic, healthiest eater I've ever met in my life. And that was even way pre-surgery. That was since right. I was a kid, right? Like right. we never had junk in the house. I mean, you right. were diligent on that. Right. And then you were also one of those people living with serious cardiovascular I disease. I was one out of five. And, yes. And, and no idea. Right. And... You know, control what you can in your life. Control what you can in your life. Mine was just genetics. But you would have, I would have thought that it would have shown up somewhere in my blood work or something. But I was totally normal until I had the cath and found out I haven't been normal for a long time. Yeah. So be aware. Be close to God, your family, your friends. Live your life. I love you. I the love best. You too. Any other final thoughts? I do not, other than I would like to do another podcast and tell women what to <laughs> because I'm a nurse. Now she's on yeah, fire. The, she's yes, on fire. Now, now I'm on Sometimes fire. Sometimes I gotta talk you into it and then when you get here, you're like, all right, let's do another one. Let's okay. do another one. No, I'm good. Thank you. But I have to say, I think it's, you know, the people who help get you through this, it's your friends, it's your family. But mm-hmm. I think the people who are the caregivers, right? I'm so grateful. I mean, my team who kept things afloat when I was away, the clients I worked with who even checked in on me, my mom, right? Mm-hmm. And and just to feel the love. And then when you went through something like that, you're like, wow, my mom made an impact on a lot of people. Like to, to, to hear from nursing teams from Pittsburgh and Bradenton and West Palm Beach. And it's like nonstop. I'm like, wow. And they're all like, when can we come up? And I'm like, Please, because I remember some days I'm like, did you eat today? Did you do this? And you're like, I'm good. I'm good, right? Yeah. That that nurse toughness kicked in. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think I think it was eye-opening from a caregiver standpoint, but also mm-hmm. um, for you, for a patient. Mm-hmm. All right. That we can never stand alone. Yeah. The chain's stronger the more hands we hold. And with that, that is season two, episode one of the Ryan Lakey Show with my mom. Thanks for being a part of it. Take care.